Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 18 to 22 this morning. It's on page 1065 if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you. Mark chapter 2, 18 to 22. This is God's holy and true word. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning that we can come together to worship our King, our Lord Jesus, who died in our place and rose for our justification. Father, we just thank you and we praise your name as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the fact that you gave us your one and only son. Father, as we look at this text this morning, would you show us the majesty of our Lord Jesus? Would you show us his amazing ability to satisfy us completely? And would you... Use this time to transform us and to make us more like him and equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing our sermon series on the gospel of Mark, and we've been in sort of a um, mini-series within our mega-series over the last few weeks when we've been looking at these confrontations that Jesus has had with some people. We've seen uh, people get uh, frustrated with Jesus saying that he has the authority to forgive. Last week we saw that there was some frustration with the fact that Jesus was accepting of sinners. And so this week we see Jesus' question about the fact that his disciples are not fasting. And uh, it's really, it's a question that addresses not only fasting, we can look at this and seeing fasting as one of many spiritual disciplines. There are Many spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture that help us grow in our Christ-likeness. And uh, there's prayer, there's Scripture reading, there's verse memorization, there's all sorts of things. And one of the things that we see here is Jesus doesn't dismiss fasting in any way, shape, or form. And so what we can see in this text is that fasting and other spiritual disciplines are important pieces of the cross-shaped life because they help us experience the presence of Christ and long for his return. That's our, our gospel fact for this morning. I'll say that again. It's a long one. Fasting and other spiritual disciplines are important pieces of the cross-shaped life because they help us experience the presence of Christ and long for his return. So we're going to look at three things this morning, talk about the purpose of fasting and the practice of fasting, and finally, the priority of newness. The purpose of fasting, the practice of fasting and the priority of newness. So keep your Bibles open. We're just going to walk right through this text this morning. And we'll start talking about the purpose of fasting, looking at 18 and 19. Let me read this verse 18 for us. Now John's disciples 
and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Let me give you a little background on that question that they ask. Uh, the Pharisees were a certain type, certain sect of Judaism. And we talked about last week how they had a very strict observance of the law. And what's interesting here is in the Old Testament, there was only one command to fast. And it was only for one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, what we know is as we move through Scripture, as you move through the Old Testament, you see that the people of God did begin to recognize more fasts, more regular fasts. In fact, we see that they uh, eventually were celebrating four different fasts on a regular basis. And then by Jesus' time, the Pharisees had begun to fast twice a week. It had become a ritual that they were celebrating every single week. You might recognize that from Luke 18, where Jesus is telling a parable about a Pharisee, and the Pharisee mentions that he fasts twice a week. Now, again, there's no, there's nothing in the Old Testament that commands that anyone fast that often on that regular of a basis. So that's something to keep in mind as we look at their question. So their question arises because they're fasting twice a week. And if you remember last week, we looked at the situation where Jesus was not fasting, but feasting. When he was at the banquet at Levi's house, and he was feasting, eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And so this brings about their question. It must have been that they had that meeting on a day when the Pharisees were fasting. And so they ask, Jesus, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't your disciples fasting? And then look at verse 19. See Jesus' answer. He says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as, the, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And so first what we see is that Jesus answers their question with a question, which is classic Jesus, and it gets them to think and also helps them uh, to realize they really can't go any farther. If they answer the question right, it ends right there. One of the brilliant things that Jesus would do. But notice, it's not a dismissal of fasting. He does not dismiss the practice. He's simply saying it's not the right time. It's not the right time for my disciples to be fasting. And he uses this analogy of a wedding. Now, there's something interesting about weddings at that time. Our weddings are usually one day. Uh, but back then, they would have a wedding that would go seven days long, and everybody would come out, and there would be eating and drinking and celebrating. And if you were normally in the habit of practicing any religious practices uh, that would prevent you from celebrating, you would put those on hold in order to celebrate for the wedding. So, so Jesus is showing that his, his ministry, a good analogy for his ministry, is a wedding. Now, uh, one author says this, The wedding imagery suggests a new sense of new beginnings, of the new relationship established with the people of God, and especially conveys the joy and exhilaration of this new situation. So Jesus here is showing us that he is the bridegroom. He is on his way to a wedding, and therefore his disciples who are with him, they can't be fasting. They need to be celebrating. This is an amazing thing, a new relationship that's going to be formed. And later in his ministry, Jesus will actually compare entering the kingdom of God with being admitted to a wedding. He does that in Matthew 22. And this helps us to understand the reason that Christ came. This is so key. He came to begin this process that would end with God permanently dwelling with his people, physically in the presence of his people, in perfect harmony forever. 
That's this beautiful new relationship that Jesus is in the process here of forming. This perfect relationship where God is dwelling with his people. We see this in Revelation uh, Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come, and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. See, they couldn't fast because they were with him. Look back at verse 19. Notice twice in that verse he uses that phrase, with them. They can't fast when they're with them, when he's with them. And so one of the main things that we can see is the purpose of fasting is to help us understand that the only thing that can truly satisfy our deepest longings is to be in the presence of God. The only thing that will ever truly satisfy you and me is when we are in his presence again like we were in the beginning before the fall. In his presence, dwelling in perfect harmony, completely satisfied by him and his glory. John Piper's right. John Piper says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He's absolutely right. But even he would tell you that the the fulfillment, the total satisfaction is going to come when Christ returns. And we see this, this longing to be in the presence of God, all through the scriptures, the Psalms are replete with this. For example, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, verse 6, for you make his most blessed forever, uh, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And then the, the, where it's all headed, this phenomenal picture of us dwelling with God in Revelation 21, 3 through 5. Listen to this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and and God himself will be with them as their God, Okay, in his presence. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that is where this is all heading. It's, it's all because of what Christ has done on the cross. And in his ministry, he's pointing us to not only what he would do, but what that would bring in the future. And that helps us think about fasting. What happens when we fast? Well, there's different types of fasting. Basically, fasting is going without food uh, for a certain amount of time. And so there's a couple different ways you can fast. There's there's total fast, which are you don't eat or drink anything for a period of time. There's what's called a partial fast, where you uh, you don't eat, but you do uh, drink liquids or things like that. Um, there's 24-hour fasts or longer than that. There's uh, kind of a dawn-to-dusk type fast. So there's a bunch of different types. Uh, we don't need to get into that t- as much right now. But just realizing that when you when you're fasting, you don't eat. And when you don't eat, you get hungry. And then you continue to not eat and you grow even more hungry and you continue to not eat. You grow even more hungry until eventually uh, what's on your mind all the time is the fact that you know you're not going to be able to be satisfied. You're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to be able to be happy. Nothing's going to truly matter anymore until you feast. That's what fasting teaches us, that it's only going to be food in our mouths and in our stomachs that's going to satisfy that hunger. Now, uh, when, you, when, you, um, when you don't know if a meal is in sight, the hunger gets worse and worse and worse. But when you know for certain that you're going to eat, 
suddenly uh, it's a little more bearable. I uh, have done this thing. We've our, the youth do this every year. I'm sure they'll do it again this year. It's called the 30-hour famine. And what they do, it's really cool. They, they work with World Vision. And what they do is they have kind of like a walk-a-thon, but it's more of a fast-a-thon. So instead of getting people to donate money for every mile that you walk, you donate, they donate money for every hour that you fast. And so they go without food for 30 hours. So they stop eating at 6 a.m. on a Friday morning, and then they don't eat again until noon on uh, the, the following Saturday. And we've, I've seen them do this several times. I've done it with them. And what's interesting is they get going and, you know, by the time they, they go to school that day and they haven't eaten, so the, it's kind of a rough day for them. And then they, they get, to, get, get to church later that night and you can see that they're hungry, but they're excited, you know, because it's going to be fun and, and in some ways. And anyway, so then what they do is they end up uh, sleeping in cardboard boxes out in our field and it just kind of give them a sense of what it's like to be hungry and homeless because that's who they're raising the money for. And then they go to bed at night and they haven't eaten. So it's harder to fall asleep. But eventually, you know, you fall asleep and in the morning you wake up and you are hungry. I mean, hungry. Right. And so what happens is you can see them. Oh, you know, they're trying to pretend like they're OK, but they know they're really hungry. And then the mood shifts. The mood shifts as soon as some of the moms come and start laying out the pancake griddles and plugging them in. And that smell of pancakes were made here once before starts to waft into the air. And you like you see them and they see this and they see the the pancake batter being mixed and they get excited. And all of a sudden they're like, "Okay, I can do this. We only got a few more hours. I can do this because I know that I'm going to eat. I know that I'm going to be satisfied. I know that this hunger is going away. And that's one of the things that Jesus was doing in his ministry for you and I who have these unfulfilled longings and desires he was here to say look you're going to eat you're going to make it i'm going to satisfy you i'm going to be the one who satisfies you completely he came to ensure that his people would one day be in the presence of god almighty where all of our longings all of our desires will be completely satisfied our faith is not supposed to be what's all satisfying it's christ who is all satisfying. And he's given us this faith to sustain us in this life so we know that it's coming. Our faith is the proof that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we will be ushered into the presence of God and all of our longings will be fulfilled and we will never be hungry or thirsty or sad or angry or jealous or lonely or embarrassed or guilty or ashamed or hopeless ever again. That's what he came to do, to deliver us so that we could experience that. So the purpose is to help us understand that in the same way that the food is only going to be what satisfies that hunger, it's designed to teach us that it's Christ that is the only one who can truly satisfy all our desires. And they will be totally satisfied when we feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb when he returns. And it's so important that we understand that all of our longings at their very root come from our desire to be reunited and reconciled to him, which is the beauty of what faith does for us. And therefore, we ought to practice fasting. We ought to practice fasting. So look at verse 20. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And so the practice of fasting is expected by uh, the followers of Jesus. It's It's not commanded, but he expects that we will participate in it. Now look at verse 20 again and look at that phrase taken away. Okay, this he's referring to the cross here. 
At this specific time, he's referring to the fact that he's going to be taken away. And all the Bible scholars uh, note that he uses a phrase that we also see in Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. Let me read that because it's about Christ. Isaiah is prophesying about Christ. It says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. There it is. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And so it's this beautiful picture that Isaiah paints. And now Jesus is referring to that about how the fact that he will be taken away. He will be taken and tortured and crucified on a cross to pay for our sin and guarantee that we will be ushered into the presence of God. So immediately he's referring to being taken away to the cross. But we also know that he must also have in mind the time when he would go physically back to heaven and that we would be without him because we see that he has expectations for his disciples. If you look at Matthew 16, or I'm sorry, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, that's a misprint on the screen there. It's Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. And he also says, but when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, uh, but by your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. And so twice he says when you fast. So again, he's not commanding us to fast, but he's expecting that we'll want to. He's expecting that when we understand fasting from Scripture, it is something that we will want to do. And so he gives us instructions on how to do it. And then in the book of Acts, we see various places where they are fasting. So we understand that Jesus does expect us to do this. Again, not a command, but he expects that we want to do this. And in Scripture, there are several different types of fasts. And so I'm going to show you this very quickly. I'm going to show you ten reasons that we see people fasting in Scripture. It's from a book uh, called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life from a guy named Donald Whitney. I'm going to put that on the screen later. You don't have to write that down if you're taking notes. Uh, and you don't have to write this down. You can buy that book if you want to. But uh, this is just, I just want to show you that we see all throughout Scripture these uncommanded fasts that people are participating in. It gives us a sense of how we can use this uh, tool to, to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So number one, we see people fasting to strengthen prayer. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra's about to lead a group of exiles back to Jerusalem, major undertaking, and we see him fasting. In Acts chapter 13, they're about to leave on the first missionary journey. Major thing they're about to embark on. So to strengthen their prayer about this uh, venture, they are fasting. Now, let me say, the fasting doesn't, it's not transactional. It's not like God's going to say, oh, you prayed. Sorry, if you had fasted, then I would have done it. It's not like that. It's a way of strengthening our showing our desire, our deep and strong desire for these. So it can strengthen our prayer. Number two, to seek God's guidance. We see in Judges chapter 20, they're deciding whether or not to go to war. They're seeking for God's guidance and they fast. We see in Acts 14 when they're choosing who will be the elders of this church that's being planted. And uh, they do so with prayer and fasting, showing that they're asking God, who should we appoint as elders? And so that's one thing when you're in a situation in your life where you've got to make a big decision. You're trying to uh, determine what God would have you do. One of the things that God says we can do is to fast and trust that he'll lead us through that. Number three, to express grief. 
when we go through something that's just gut wrenching, sometimes we just wish we could we could just do something. And God graciously says, you can fast. Somehow he meets us in our fasting. We see that in First uh, Samuel 31, Saul dies and they turn to fasting. And what's so amazing about that is you realize that even if we got back the thing that we've lost that's causing the grief, we still wouldn't be satisfied. That's not what will satisfy. It is only Christ and being back in the presence of our creator and being in perfect harmony with him. That's what is all satisfying. So even in grief, we can fast. Number four, to seek deliverance or protection. We see Esther in in, uh, Esther chapter four. She's going to go and risk her life. For her people, she says her famous line, if I perish, I perish. And before she does that, she asks the people to fast because she's going to be in great danger. She needs protection. She needs deliverance. So God shows us that when we are feeling like we need deliverance and protection, one of the things we can do is we can fast uh, to express repentance and return to God. In Joel 2, God says, return to me. And one of the things he says we can do is to fast, return to me with fasting. It's this amazing thing that when we are realizing we're in sin and we want to repent, we want to turn away from that sin. Not so that we're saved, but because we are one of the things that can strengthen our repentance, our fight against that sin we're repenting of is fasting. Um, we see this uh, another thing that number six to humble ourselves before God we see in 1 Kings 21, Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of the Old Testament. Yet, there's a point where he fasts and the prophet says about, look how, look how he's humbling himself before God. So, in my life, I know this is what I need to do more of when I realize, you know, I'm totally living on my own strength. I'm totally living like I don't need God all the time. And that would be a perfect time whenever we realize that to, to fast and humble ourselves and, and remind ourselves that what we truly need is God and that all our greatest desires are truly for Him. Uh, number seven, to express concern for the work of God. In Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel is burdened with the desire for the Jews to uh, be to return from exile and be restored. And, and one of the things he does is he fasts. So like, as we are praying for these uh, churches uh, in our area, as we pray for unreached people groups, as we're concerned with the gospel advancing, one of the things we can do to strengthen that, to show that we are really truly concerned with this, is that we can fast from time to time for that purpose. Uh, number eight. To minister to the needs of others. This one in in Isaiah 58. God is rebuking his people. For fasting for their own purposes. Just to kind of do the ritual of it. And he tells them that's not the type of fast that I want. He says this. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppression or let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And so there's this beautiful picture of God saying, I want the type of fasting that's going to help people. And so one of the ways that we could fast is to periodically with our families or even as individuals to go without a meal or two and take the money we would have spent on those meals and give it to the poor so that they can be fed. So we can fast to minister to the needs of others. Number nine. To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is being tempted. Okay, we talked about that in our study of Mark. Matthew talks about it a little more in, de- in detail. And when Satan is tempting Jesus the whole time, Jesus is fasting. 
So for, for some of us who are in a, in a real battle, being very, very much tempted with something, and we want to fight against it with everything we've got, one of the things we can add to our prayer, add to our fighting against the temptation, is to fast. And finally, to express love and worship to God. Uh, around Christmas, you read Luke 2, what we usually gloss over is Anna. In Luke 2, we read about Anna. She's an 84-year-old widow who is just at the temple worshiping God and fasting. So she's just there because she loves God. And in order to show him that, she's fasting. Does God feel like he loves her more if she does that? No, it's not about that. It's just something that God, a gift that God has given his people for us to do uh, as we follow Christ and as we grow. And so uh, in, in light of that, uh, that, that one of the things that we see in Scripture is people fasting just to, to praise God. Uh, I'm going to invite you to fast with me tomorrow um, and just to celebrate what, what God has done for Cornerstone. This is totally voluntary. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. If you can't fast from food, you could fast for something else like the Internet. Some of you are just like, oh, no, he didn't. Um, uh, I did. Yeah, fast from something. You can you could give up something as a way of just saying, I, I just want to praise you for what you've done. Okay? And we can also kill two birds with one stone. I also want to be fasting tomorrow to ask God. I want to strengthen prayer to ask God to save people on Christmas Eve, not only at our Christmas Eve service, but people all over the world. So maybe you join me in that. If you can, if you're physically able, I'm just going to do the uh, kind of a dawn to dusk, just going to skip breakfast and lunch, and then I'll feast at dinner uh, uh, celebrating uh, God's graciousness, his amazingness, his glory in Christ. So you can join me in that if you want, but don't feel compelled. It's just voluntary. Now, but what we do want to see here is that we, as Christians, as we are living this life shaped by the cross of Jesus, we really ought to know about and familiarize ourselves with the, the disciplines spiritual disciplines that that god has given us and so i want to show you these two books uh, that i like and that i've read um you can write these down stocking stuffers um uh, spiritual disciplines for the christian life by donald whitney i think is a great book to familiarize yourself with the disciplines and choose to participate in some of those uh and then i just also read jerry bridges book the discipline of grace another great book that just walks you through that type of stuff i really want to challenge you for that and, and be thinking about that in this new year uh, but here's the thing. Let's let's keep moving, because the most important thing is to realize uh, that that really one of the focuses of this text is newness. I want to talk about the priority of newness. See, the problem with the Pharisees fasting wasn't that they were doing it so regular. That's not really what Jesus is picking on here. The, the fact is that it wasn't doing anything. It, it, it was just a ritual. It was just something that they did. It was designed to just be a habit. And therefore, it wasn't really doing anything. J.I. Packer says this, Rule-keeping without relational closeness to God is not Christ-like and is a way of missing holiness rather than a method of achieving it. And so it's not about just doing things to do them. So let's look at this in these two parables that Jesus says in verse 21 and 22. Verse 21, he says, No one sews a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. So right there, he's, he's talking about this untrunk cloth. That would be a new piece of cloth. And you can't attach it to an old piece of cloth, which is already shrunk. Because if you do, when the new piece shrinks, it's going to tear and it's going to get worse. And so you've got this interesting uh, reality of newness that something's going to shrink. Something shrinks. Okay, now, uh, 22. Look at verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed and so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh 
wineskins. Now he's not talking about something that shrinks, but something that expands. When they used to make wine, they would put it in an animal skin. And because when they put the wine in the skin, the wine, when it fermented, would expand. And just like your skin has a little elasticity, uh, so does this animal skin. And so it would stretch to uh, accommodate that. But if you were to put new wine that still, need to, still needs to expand in an old wineskin that's already expanded to its limit, well, then it's going to burst. And so he's talking about something that is going to expand. So lastly, I want to talk just here about fasting and other spiritual disciplines should bring about newness in our relationship with Christ. That's what should be on our mind when we think about these disciplines, that they should bring about newness. How does that happen? Well, he's, he shows us here. See, it's not about just rituals. It's not about just uh, going through the motions for the sake of doing these things. It's about experiencing newness found in Christ, the newness that points us to the day when we'll be made entirely new. And so think about these parables and what he says here, and, and think about this, that through faith, something shrinks and something else expands as we follow christ and know him more something shrinks and something else expands what is it that shrinks in our life it's the control that our desires have over us our desires that are often very good desires but there's there's control that they have over us and when we trust in christ those the control that our desires have over us shrinks when we are assured that one day we really will truly have all of our desires met in Christ as we are in the presence of God, the control that our desires have over us shrinks. And we're able to fight against uh, falling into sin. Think about this. All of our sin is us attempting to get our needs met, our desires fulfilled through ways that God is forbidden. And that's, he's forbidden these things for two reasons. One, they don't glorify him, but also they don't actually satisfy. These things that we turn to won't actually satisfy us. And so your life can't stay the same when we're following Christ. That's the main thing. There needs to be newness. And what, he's, what we see here is as we learn more about Christ, as we learn how glorious he is, what really shrinks is our love of self and our love of sin because we know that Christ is the one who satisfies. Christ is the one who will usher us into the presence of God one day. And so that power that our sin, our desires has over us will shrink, but at the same time, time something else expands and that is our our love of christ and our excitement about what he has planned for us our love of christ and our excitement of what's to come will expand as we continue to follow him as we continue to know who he is and realize what he's done as as the holy spirit ministers his presence to us spiritually now our love explodes for him and that creates newness as well this is what we're talking about when we're talking about transformation we're talking a lot about gospel transformation here. And that's the newness, that we would grow in our Christ-likeness. And in the process, as we see His glory more and more, that power that sin and our desires has over us is shrinking, and our love for Him and amazement at His glory is expanding. So, here's the challenge. We're almost to the new year. And I want to encourage you to take a step forward and use some of the spiritual disciplines, but not just so you have a better devotional life, but so that you are intentional 
about pursuing Christ in ways that will deepen your relationship with him and that you'll experience this newness. If, if you're a non-believer with us, if you're a non-believer with us, I want you to know that when you turn to Christ, you begin to experience this newness. He makes you new. He transforms you. And for the rest of us who are following Christ, it, it, it does require that we run after him, that we pursue him, not just to fill a box and do rituals, but to run to him to get more and more of the newness that he provides. The newness, which is actually more and more Christ-likeness. The greatest Christmas gift we could ever imagine, other than him saving us from the penalty of our sin, is also that he would deliver us from its power, that he would shrink that power sin has over us as we wait for the day when he delivers us from sin's very presence and we're made completely new in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do long for transformation. And so we ask that you would uh, bring us more and more into your presence, bring us to the point of using these spiritual disciplines of worshiping you to transform us. We want the newness and we more than that, we want Christ. And so we do pray that you will make this coming year a year of newness for our church and for us as individuals and families. And we look forward with expectation. Not only to the newness we'll experience in this year, but the total newness that we'll experience when Christ returns to make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.